Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. More often than not, we stream live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, weekdays at docwashburnshow.com. Hey, this time I'm only 13 hours late, okay? I had to campaign a lot today because I'm running for governor of Arkansas. Anyway, minutes after each live stream is completed, the Doc Washburn Show podcast is available for download at all your favorite podcast platforms. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com. This is episode 105 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Friday, March 11th, 2022. Coming up, you'll be shocked at all that has happened since we last spoke. But first, yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't allow me to say that on the radio. And yes, there's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. And yes, we must keep the January 6th political prisoners in our prayers. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Now, if you would like to support my campaign for the Republican nomination for governor of Arkansas, that's easy. Go to electdocwashburn.com. And I'll tell you this, everywhere I go, my message is warmly received. All I have to do is get in front of enough primary voters, and I will win the nomination, the Republican nomination for governor. And whoever is the Republican nominee is going to be the governor. doesn't matter what sacrificial lamb the, uh, the Democrats trot out there. Anyway, um, thank you so much to the Pulaski County Republican Women's Club, whom I spoke with for lunch Thursday. Thank you so much for my friend Tom Nichols, who owns the uh, 92.9 KVRE radio station in Hot Springs Village. Did an interview with him. And thank you so much for Moms for Liberty. Uh, we met them at the Crossroads Cafe um, Thursday evening in Cabot, and just uh, such a warm response all the way around. So anyway, now it's after midnight on Thursday night central. I don't even want to think about how late it is Eastern. And I got a lot of stuff to share with you. I've got a I've got a lot of audio. And we already see people joining us on the on the Podbean app this late. That's amazing. I've got a lot of audio. Now, I don't know if you heard about the Don't Say Gay bill in Florida. If you have heard about it, you've heard a lie. There's nothing in this bill that says anything about gay. The bill would restrict teachers from introducing sexual content to children from pre-K to third grade. So it should be called the anti-groomer bill. But the media and the Democrats, and I'm sorry, I repeat myself, they lie about a lot of stuff. So the Disney company, one of the biggest employers in the state of Florida, was very upset about this bill. And the best governor in the the country, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis told them to go pound sand. 
All right? So I want to play for you what he said, and they give you some thoughts about how that relates to another state that is near and dear to me. Here's the best governor in the country of the United States, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. So here's what I can tell you. Uh, In the state of Florida, uh, we are not going to allow them to inject transgenderism into kindergarten. These people are excited. First graders shouldn't have uh, woke gender ideology imposed in their curriculums, and that is what we're standing for, because we're standing for the kids and we're standing for the parents. Uh, and I can tell you this, there, the chance that I am going to back down from my commitment to students and back down from my commitment to parents' rights simply because of fraudulent media narratives or pressure from woke corporations... Talk about Disney. The chances of that are zero. And when you have companies that have made a fortune off being family friendly and catering to families and young kids, you know, they should understand that parents of young kids do not want this injected into their kids' kindergarten classroom. Uh, they do not want their first graders to go and be told that they can choose an opposite gender. That is not appropriate for those kids. And so if you're family friendly, understand uh, the parents who are actually raising families want to have their rights respected. And I also think that you have companies like a Disney that are going to say and criticize parents' rights. They're going to criticize the fact uh, that we don't want transgenderism in kindergarten and first grade classrooms. If that's the hill that they're going to die on, then how do they possibly explain lining their pockets with their relationship from the Communist Party of China? Because that's what they do, and they make a fortune, and they don't say a word about the really brutal practices uh, that you see over there at the hands of the CCP. And so in Florida, our policy is going to be based on the best interests of Florida citizens, not on the musing of That's what's up. Now, when the Arkansas State Legislature passed a law Outlawing the sterilization of children. All right. Outlawing the puberty blockers for prepubescent children. And Walmart told the governor of Arkansas, Aza Hutchinson, they didn't like that. He should have told them to pound sand. But it's widely believed that his plan when he leaves office, is to go be on the board of directors of Walmart while he prepares his ill-fated run for president. So uh, he didn't have the intestinal fortitude to do that. See, a lot of people, they get into office and they're affected by uh, the Benjamins. You know what I'm saying? where the money comes from. So I just want to give you a little bit, a little but before I get into the craziness, I want to give you a little bit of good news. All right? So there's DeSantis. Fantastic. Next, 
This was a wonder to behold. Fox News White House press correspondent Peter Ducey drags Little Red Lying Hood Jen Psaki, just drags her, just drags her, just drags her. And it went something like this. Why did you guys decide to rebrand the rising gas prices as the hashtag Putin price hike? I mean, if you want to use that on Fox, I welcome that. But. Oh, but I think it'll get a lot of airtime because we have heard the president warn for months the gas prices were rising because of the supply chain and because of post-pandemic demand. If you guys knew for months that this was going to be the hashtag Putin price hike, why are we just hearing that now? Oh! Well, Peter, if we go back to six months ago, I don't think anybody was predicting we would be exactly where we are as it relates to Russia and Ukraine. As you know, that events in the world, including the invasion by Russia of a foreign country, does uh, prompt uh, instability and volatility in the global oil markets. And there are all sorts of different issues that can impact that. That's what we're seeing now. Outside economists and analysts have conveyed and said publicly that Russia's invasion Russia's buildup of troops, President Putin's decision to do that very early this year led to a lot of the instability and volatility in the oil markets. You don't have to take my word for it. So therefore, if President Putin's buildup of military troops is leading to volatility and an increase in oil and prices, hence you have a Putin pump, gas price pump. I wouldn't take her word for anything, you know what I'm saying? Because you get paid to lie, but anyway. You and the president are both talking about producing energy here, saying that oil and gas companies have 9,000 permits to drill now. They could be drilling right now. Would President Biden cut red tape to make that possible? Oh! Because you got permits all you want. But they keep you from using them. What red tape needs to be cut when they have the permits, uh, they have the capacity to do it? What's holding them up? Does President Biden think that each of these 9,000 leases that are available have oil or gas in them? Because industry experts are saying that uh, that accusation is is a complete red herring. Some permits are viable and some are not. When you say that, this represents a fundamental misunderstanding as to how this process works. Oh! Dragger, boy. Dragger. Well, first of all, the nearly 60% of leased acres remain non-producing. That's a lot uh, in the range of 20 million acres. So there are 9,000 uh, unused approved permits to drill in. They should not require That should not require us inviting them to do that. They should do well, that themselves. The, the additional permits. So would the what additional permits do they need? There's no. The, they have the leases are there. The permits are there. I don't think they need an embroidered invitation to drill. That is their oil companies. What is what is happening? What is happening? But what is ha- the permits have been granted, Peter? What is ha- what is happening here is that we are seeing these are private sector companies. We recognize that many of them are making record profits. We see that that is all publicly available data. They have pressure to return cash to investors and their shareholders. What we're saying right now is there is a war. We're asking them to to uh, go. Uh, use 
the, the approved permits, use the unused space, and go uh, get more supply out of the ground in our own country. Okay, and then just a quick yes or no, because there's a lot of gray area here. Oh. Is a restart of the Keystone XL construction completely off the table as long as Joe Biden is president? Well, why don't you tell me what that would help address? Oh, she walked right into it. I'm asking you if it is an option. You guys say all options are on the table. Is restarting Keystone Construction one of them? If we're trying to bring about more supply, that does not address any problem. It's supply from Canada, a friendly ally, instead that's, of Saudi Arabia. That's already that's our, we're already getting that oil, Peter. It's the the pipeline is just a delivery mechanism. It is not an oil field, so it does not provide more supply into the system. It, it does not address people. Is it possible that Joe Biden? will ever say there's, you guys can go ahead with construction of Keystone XL. There's no plans for that and it would not address any of the problems we're having currently. She just gets paid to lie and lie and lie and lie. And did I mention she gets paid to lie? And then lie some more after that. Because that's what she gets paid to do. And she doesn't have a problem with it. Probably sleeps like a baby. You know what I'm saying? She does not have a problem with lying or a living. Now, can I give you can I give you a little bit of good news up in here? Cause I don't know if y'all heard about this, because I don't think I ever got around to it. It came out the other day. U.S. Supreme Court reinstates death penalty for Boston Marathon bomber Jokar Sharniev. Justice Clarence Thomas, for the 6-3 majority, said Jokar Sharniev committed heinous crimes. The Sixth Amendment nonetheless guaranteed him a fair trial before an impartial jury. He received one. He received one. He got it all right. He's a murderer. He needs to uh, be punished. You take someone's life, your life is uh, required of you. Murdered an eight-year-old boy. His name is Martin Richard. Murdered MIT police officer Sean Collier. Ran over his own brother with a with SUV. You know what I'm saying? They can't fry him soon enough. They can't fry him soon enough. You know what I'm saying, Holmes? That's some good news up in here. So um Jesse Smollett got 150 days in jail. Should have gotten, um, should have got 15 years, I think. He lied. He made up a fake hate crime to try to start some kind of race war in these here United States of America. They should have thrown a book at him. They should have thrown an encyclopedia at him. 
Not just a book, a whole set of books. A whole set of books. Oh, let me get you something else up in here. Scott Johnson over at uh, Powerline has a story. New York Times reporter Matthew Rosenberg was one of the three reporters with a byline on the January 11, 2017 story how a sensational unverified dossier became a crisis for Donald Trump. The story is a confused mashup of the facts as we have come to know them in connection with the Steele dossier. The three reporters had the assistance of three more who contributed reporting, and they still couldn't get to the bottom of the story, not even close. They did quote then President-elect Trump commenting on the notorious allegations of the Steele dossier as a fabrication, a Nazi-style smear concocted by sick people. That observation of President Trump has stood the test of time. The six reporters managed to get this right. Quote, some of the dossier's claims that can be checked seem problematic, unquote. Insofar as the New York Times worked the themes of the dossier over the next two years, it's a thought they should have taken further. The January 2017 story sets part of the backdrop for Rosenberg's conversation with a lady at the bar captured in the undercover video below. That's a Project Veritas video I played for you on the last episode. They have a link to the Project Veritas story. All in all, Rosenberg sounds like he might make a good editor of the paper if given the authority to a clean house. <laughs> he was flirting with his girl and trying to give her the impression that he realized what was up, which was, well, he said... There are a whole bunch of FBI informants in the middle of the violent crowd. January 6th at the Capitol. Now, he admitted that. So, the guy who broke the story about the big FBI informant, who may actually be an agent, Ray Epps, the guy who broke the story is a guy named Darren J. Beatty. He's got a website called revolver.news. So, Wednesday night, or was it Thursday night? I don't know. I'm getting my days They're kind of blending together. Darren J. Beatty went on Tucker Carlson's show, and they talked about how beautiful it is that this New York Times reporter won a Pulitzer is now admitting that January 6th was not all that violent and it was a setup by the feds. There was no organized anything. No organized anything from any kind of conservative group. FBI agents all through that thing. And, oh, by the way, um, 
James O'Keefe, Project Veritas, confronted New York Times reporter Matthew Rosenberg, who said he stands by everything he said. Really? Including it being an FBI setup? That's interesting. So here's what happened. I think it was Wednesday night when Darren Beatty from Revolver News went on with Tucker Carlson. First, they played the, um, just for people who hadn't caught it, played the video of Matthew Rosenberg, New York Times Pulitzer Prize winning reporter, talking about how ridiculous it was that anybody would be traumatized by January 6th at the Capitol and their FBI informants all through the crowd. And then Tucker and Darren had at it like this. Oh, they uncovered that there were, quote, a ton of FBI informants in the crowd on January 6th. I don't remember reading that in the New York Times. We read it on Revolver News, which is edited by Darren Beatty. His outlet was the first to document that there were a ton of FBI people in the crowd on January 6th. A ton. Oh! And he was denounced for it, and so were we. Darren Beatty joins us tonight. Darren, thanks so much for coming on. Congratulations. Not that you need to be vindicated by the New York Times, the paper that defended Joseph Stalin. However, it must feel kind of nice to see this guy admit that you were right all along. The paper that defended Joseph Stalin. I don't know if you all caught that or not. I mean... That deserves another. Oh! It's nice and it's amusing. And what it shows is that the New York Times, at least certain reporters, are not as ignorant as we thought. It's simply yeah. maybe even a little bit more duplicitous than we thought. It's the, the whole the whole expose by Veritas is fascinating. It's fascinating to hear this individual um, trash his colleagues. It's not just the presence of FBI informants. The whole notion that it was this grand insurrection is something that he rightly, at least in private, dismisses as ridiculous and ridicules his colleagues who are dumb enough to believe it. It's it- You caught that, right? That's exactly what happened. It's quite a remarkable piece of footage. But you, you have to wonder, if you're a national security reporter at the New York Times and you find out there were a ton of FBI people in the crowd, doesn't that kind of demand a follow-up? Don't you have a moral obligation to find out, like, what the hell is that? Who are these people? Why haven't they been arrested? What was the federal government's role in this, quote, insurrection? Why aren't they writing that story? Well, it's it's a great question, and they seem resolutely uninterested in exploring this, other than the occasional exception to do damage control when uh, certain tidbits of the truth come out. And it's a particularly um, important revelation coming right at the heels of the Michigan kidnapping trial, which, as we yeah. see, the defense in that case, it was so infiltrated by the feds that they're actually going to use an entrapment defense. And so... There's so many unanswered questions. There's still the Ray Epps issue, which has gotten no answer. And all these people can do is apparently acknowledge it's all right in private and then do nothing, do nothing with their sources in order to expose the truth to the American people. Okay, Ray Epps. There's a guy, he's all over video the night before January 6th saying we've got to go into the Capitol tomorrow. And people started yelling, Fed, 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 because they knew he was a Fed. And he's also with the folks the next day who are going over the barricades and headed right to the Capitol. And the FBI knows who he is. They know where he is. 
They're arresting people who never went in the Capitol, who never encouraged anybody else to go to the Capitol. But they won't arrest Ray Epps. Ray Epps spoke to um, Nancy Pelosi's sham January 6th committee, but they won't release a transcript. They won't even say if he spoke under oath. Ray Epps. The whole thing was set up by the feds. Just really quick, is it obvious to you that the more loudly they scream, the more aggressive they get? They did this after the death of George Floyd. They did this after January 6th. They're doing it now with Ukraine. It seems like there's a connection between their self-righteousness, their aggression, and their duplicity. The louder they yell, the more they're lying. That's what it seems like. Absolutely. They've been extremely vicious protectors of this narrative because it's so important to them. The whole lie about January 6th is used to justify the repurposing of the national security state domestically against the American people. If they lose that narrative, they lose that agenda and they can't stand to have that happen. You think Kevin McCarthy might sort of clue into this. Do do you know what I mean? If like Liz Cheney is screaming about January 6th and then she's screaming about Ukraine, like maybe take a step back. What's going on here? Kevin McCarthy? But no one seems to think that way. Weird. Darren Beatty, we are grateful that you do. Thank you for your reporting. Thank you. Yeah. Same people who've been lying to you about everything else, right? They've been lying to you about everything else. Look, it's awful what's going on in Ukraine, and we need to pray for the Ukrainian people and the Russian people. But there have been so many wars and so many people killed. I just want to know why this is the one they want us to care about. Probably part of the Great Reset, you know what I'm saying? That's probably what's up with that. All right, now... Having said that, I am so thankful, we are so blessed to have advertisers that make this live stream slash podcast possible. No no matter what time of the day or night, we do it, right? So let me say a word about my friends, Mitch Ward and the crew at Red River Your Way. If you tried to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including the freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online. They'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way makes, they want to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website to put you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry. Red River experts are still right here to help you. If you have any questions, every step of the way, Red River makes it so easy. You browse their selection online. You'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Now, when you click that button, they guide you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options that you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences and all the math happens automatically so you can determine 
what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. And, of course, if you're in central Arkansas, you just want to go to one of their locations, one of their brick-and-mortar places, like I did, and got a great deal. I got a great deal on a 2013 Honda Accord with only 85,000 miles on it. So if you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that delivers your vehicle to your front door, no matter where you live in the continental United States, RedRiverYourWay.com, you will be glad you did. All right, now, a constant running theme on the Doc Washburn Show is pushing back against the overreach of the feds. So let me just ask you, you like most Americans, did Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high copays keep you from going to the doctor? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, go to the website myfamilyhealthplan.com. When you click on myfamilyhealthplan.com, the big, bold letters, affordable plans, save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no copays. And then there's that big, beautiful red button that says, Schedule call now. You click on that button. You book a free consultation with my buddy Art Wilborn. And Art Wilborn will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. You also make sure your personalized health coverage doesn't force you to cover stuff like abortion, horrible stuff like that that would violate your deeply held religious beliefs. Again, the website, myfamilyhealthplan.com. Affordable plans save 30 to 50% on premiums. Personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays. Click the button, schedule a call now. Book a free consultation with my buddy Art Wilborn. Make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Save money on your insurance at myfamilyhealthplan.com. You will be glad that you did. All right, now, we're talking about FBI setups. All right? Talking about FBI setups, which is what January 6th of the Capitol was. All right, Julie Kelly, American Greatness, dropped a new one on us. It's called Stoned Crazy Talk, not a plan, say Whitmer Defendants. She says, for months, defense attorneys representing the men accused of conspiring to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer in 2020 have built a convincing case of FBI entrapment filing dozens of motions in federal court detailing how the government concocted the plot with at least a dozen FBI undercover agents and informants. But District Court Judge Robert Junker wanted to delay presenting that trove of evidence at trial for as long as possible. Days before jurors took their seat, took their seats in his Grand Rapids courtroom on Wednesday morning, Junker the judge issued an order that warned, quote, initial opening statements and evidence during the government's case in chief on both direct and cross must address and be relevant to issues other than entrapment, unquote. Judge Jonker's plan, however, didn't make it past the first morning break. 
after it became clear during opening statements that the defense could not argue their case without explaining the deep involvement of the FBI's confidential human sources. Judge Jonker reversed his ruling, telling the jury that, quote, it won't be possible to draw a line between the government proving their case and entrapment, unquote. And the defense was ready. During the first two days of this high-stakes trial, FBI agents told jurors shocking details about how the department initiated the expansive probe, which stretched, stretched across several states and involved multiple FBI field offices. What? What? FBI agents told jurors the shocking details about how the FBI initiated this whole thing? If I mentioned to you the Doc Washburn show gives you the news that the mainstream media doesn't want you to hear about, have I ever, have I been remiss in my duty? Have I mentioned that before? One FBI official told his supervisor he planned to conduct a terrorism enterprise investigation into the loose band of misfits with no solid plans, much less the ability to do anything nefarious at the time. The alleged ringleader, Adam Fox, lived in the ramshackle basement of a vacuum repair shop with his two dogs. If he needed to go to the bathroom or brush his teeth, Fox had to use the facilities at the Mexican restaurant next door, according to his attorney in court on Wednesday. Nonetheless, the FBI directly accessed through their informants, encrypted chat groups that included both the defendants and FBI assets. Private Facebook messages. Let's try to take two. Private Facebook messages were retrieved courtesy. Courtesy. Wait, it just jumped on me. I apologize. Private Facebook messages were retrieved courtesy of a warrant issued to the big tech company, Facebook, also is actively cooperating with the Justice Department in its January 6th investigation, to to produce incriminating comments between members of the group. Secret gatherings and out-of-town excursions, courtesy of the FBI and U.S. taxpayers, animated the scheme. Two FBI agents met with a confidential human source, called Steve, in the parking lot of a Dublin, Ohio hotel, June 6, 2020, to deliver a recording device so Steve could capture conversations of at least two defendants attending a so-called militia conference that day. At the meeting, which Steve, the confidential human source, organized and paid for on behalf of the FBI, some men can be heard angrily discussing the George Floyd riots that terrorized the country in the preceding weeks and threatening to retaliate. So this confidential human source of the FBI, Steve, also organized numerous trips so defendants could participate in field and weapons training. Every remote site was heavily monitored by the government. FBI Special Agent Todd Reinick told the court the department used poll cameras license plate readers, drones, and even airplanes to record the activity at each location. The use of airplanes, Reinick said, would have required multi-level approval by the higher-ups. 
One location in particular was under tight surveillance. Governor Whitmer's vacation cottage in upstate Michigan. FBI Special Agent Todd Reinick admitted it was possible a pole camera was installed outside the cottage. Another FBI witness testified that scanners used to produce 3D images were around Governor Whitmer's property as well. Now, why would that be? If the threat was so dire and the FBI really wanted to apprehend the alleged kidnap plotters instead of setting them up, why didn't authorities simply arrest them? Ah, but that would have thwarted the government's plan. After all, the defendants were driven to the very remote cottage for an alleged reconnaissance mission September 2020 by confidential human source Dan, the government's lead informant, along with other confidential sources and undercover agents. It's not as if the defendants were working on their own or that the devices were installed to protect Governor Whitmer's property. No, no. To the contrary, it appears the devices were planted to produce evidence to support the government's eventual prosecution. The trial also has exposed a dangerously sloppy system of vetting, paying, and managing FBI informants, many of whom... One FBI agent admitted have another agenda aside from getting the bad guys. Sometimes the informant is the bad guy, which is the case with confidential human source Steve, whose real name is Stephen Robeson. He's a longtime FBI informant and convicted felon from Wisconsin with a record in nine states. According to what one defense attorney told the jury. In addition, Stephen Robeson committed at least two separate crimes while he worked the Governor Whitmer case. He was removed from the government's witness list, although the, the defense plans to call him as a hostile witness. In addition to repeatedly breaking the law, it appears confidential human source Steve also violated already lax FBI rules while working the sting operation. Joshua Blanchard, the attorney representing defendant Barry Croft, said that Steve was plying guys with drugs until they were out of their mind stoned. There's an old song that says something about they stone you when you're walking home alone. Anyway, that alone violated FBI guidance. Confidential human source Steve would then get the defendants whipped up and selectively record conversations when the defendants were high. When the FBI found out, the agency did nothing to reprimand Steve. Informants, FBI Special Agent Reinick testified, are paid only in cash. Payments may involve either reimbursements for expenses, no receipts necessary, or for services rendered. Some informants are paid after their work is done as a sort of a bonus. Confidential human source Dan Special Agent Reinick confirmed was paid roughly $64,000 for six months' work, higher than originally reported. Uh, this Dan also received a new laptop computer with an extended warranty, a smartwatch, and new tires for his car, all funded from the FBI's deep coffers. According to reports, confidential human source Steve was paid around $20,000 and received a sweet deal on a weapons charge. A vetting system for informants includes a background check, but not a credit check. So, Special Agent Reinick admitted 
Someone might approach the FBI to act as an informant to get a better deal in a legal case or to make money. Apparently, those motives are not disqualifying. Not exactly the strict process Americans might expect from the nation's top law enforcement agency, which prides itself on operating by the book. In just the first two days, the defense attorneys have blown the lid off a careless, reckless FBI and a weak prosecution. As one defense attorney told jurors, this was stoned crazy talk, not a plan. Further, the testimony about the prosecution's FBI witnesses raises significant political questions. Who in Donald Trump's Justice Department was aware of this operation? Was Attorney General William Barr briefed on what was happening, and did he notify the president? What about FBI Director Christopher Wray? Who authorized the arrest of these defendants less than a month before Election Day, which produced critical national headlines for Trump as early voting was underway in Michigan and other states? And how much was Governor Whitmer herself in on the plan? It's not as if the FBI installed a poll camera and scanners on her property without her knowledge. What did the governor know? And when did she know it? But perhaps the biggest questions are for Stephen D'Antuono. See, he was the head of the FBI's Detroit field office, whose agents signed a criminal complaint against the defendants in the so-called Governor Whitmer kidnapping plot and handled confidential human source Dan. Um, Stephen D'Antuono, head of that FBI Detroit field office, was promoted to lead the D.C. field office for the FBI in mid-October 2020, uh, just a few months before the Capitol protest, January 6, 2021. How much did this guy, this D'Antuono guy with the FBI, pull the strings of the multi-layered Governor Whitmer kidnapping operation, and did he use any of the same undercover agents and informants on January 6 at the Capitol? Finding out which high-ranking politicians and government officials were in on the Whitmer kidnapping caper just became a major part of this growing scandal. Julie Kelly is amazing. In a sane world, she'd be getting Pulitzers. The article American Greatness is entitled Stoned crazy talk, not a plan, say Whitmer defendants. It's just beautiful. What a beautiful article. On the for reals, y'all. On the for reals. All right. Let me just say something up in here. Again, we're thankful for our advertisers. I want to say a couple of words about a couple of them. My friend Justin Minton, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton in Benton, Arkansas. Justin's a former insurance adjuster who left the insurance industry to become a private lawyer, founded the Minton Law Firm to help injured people fight against powerful insurance companies and corporations. He sure helped me out when I was in two automobile accidents back in 2019. Also helped me out with the one in which I was rear-ended on Colonel Glen Road on Little Rock, December 17, 2021. The Minton Law Firm has a great team of lawyers, including the 2016 Trial Lawyer of the Year and the 2016 Outstanding Young Lawyer of the Year. The insurance companies take Justin Minton and his team of lawyers seriously because they know they can and will take your case to trial if need be. So whether you want to go to trial or settle out of court, it's a really good idea to have a knowledgeable trial attorney on your side. Justin's team aims to bring justice to clients who have been injured and need somebody to stand up for them. No matter what the injury, Justin Minton makes sure the Minton law firm always works hard for you. So whether you're in a car wreck, 
for another job or you're a loved one suffering from the carelessness of another. If you're in Arkansas, Justin Minton Law, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton & Benton, is here to help you. Just call the Minton Law Firm, 501-943-4195, or visit justinmintonlaw.com today. All right, now, you ready to hear about the best-kept secret in American healthcare? All right. Ready to get some help from some folks who've helped me, my wife, and so many people we know? All right. Here we go. Do you have migraines? Do you have neck pain? Do you have back pain? Do you have vertigo? Do you have issues with your blood sugar? All right. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Do you naturally lean to the left or lean to the right instead of sitting up straight or standing up straight? The answer to any of these questions is yes. You probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines and my neck pain. I'll tell you how it works. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas or the C1 which only weighs two ounces, so it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column could get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, your reproductive system, your circulatory system, your digestive system, and yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, even problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you live in central Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009 for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted. If you live outside central Arkansas, but you're thinking, man, that sounds like something for real that I probably need to look into, you're right, it does, and it is. Go to their website, turnmypoweron.com. Click on the tab that says, find a doctor near you, and I hope there is one. God bless them. God bless them. All right, now, I got a little bit more. We played Jen Psaki earlier in the show saying, what additional permits do they need? Talk about the oil companies. I don't think they need an embroidered invitation to drill. U.S. Representative uh, Chip Roy, Texas, addressed this. He said, having refused to apologize for accusing Border Patrol agents of whipping Haitians, Press Secretary Jen Psaki extends lies to oil when she said that what additional permits do they need. Leases are there. Permits are there. I don't think they need an embroidered invitation. Congressman Chip Roy, Texas says this is, this is stupid. A lie or both? Oil is around $120 a barrel. Do you really think companies don't want to drill right now? They can't drill because of the administration's assault on reliable American oil and gas. Companies have applied for a bunch of permits because they know they're under attack. Biden, in a 2020 debate, says said no more drilling on federal lands, no more drilling, including offshore, no ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. All right, now, I don't know. Maybe you're like, oh, come on, man. Come on, man. 
He didn't say anything like that. Really? Really? Are you sure about that? Check it out, Holmes. Thank you, Mr. Vice President. Just to clarify, would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in the Biden administration? No, we would, we, would, we would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated and no more subsidies for either one of those, either any fossil fuel. They don't want you to be able to afford to put gas in your car. Are you aware of this? It's got to stop. Look, I'm going to have some guests on schedule beyond uh, next Wednesday talking about they're trying to get something passed called the 28th Amendment, which would give Americans the opportunity to recall the president and vice president. I've met these guys, and they're like, yeah, I don't know if we can make it to January of 2025 with Biden and Harris in office. They're trying to destroy this country. And they're right. These people are right. They are trying to destroy this country. It's clear. If you you don't get it, I don't know. I can't help you, Holmes. I don't know what to tell you, fam. If you don't get it, if you don't understand they're trying to destroy the country, but hey, 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 here's more. But kiddo, I want you to just take a look, okay? You don't have to agree, but I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to clock it. That's when he's flirting with a teenage girl at a campaign stop when he's running for president. Kiddo, he gets real closer. Look in my eyes. I guarantee you, we're going to get rid of fossil fuels. They don't want you to be able to afford to put gas in your car. They're attacking the middle class and the sure attacking poor folks. One more. Biden lying about gas. Down the gas is down from 14%. So I want to make sure they go fast. He said a gallon of gas is down 14%. They don't care, man. They don't care. I believe Biden is an atheist. I don't think he believes for one minute when he dies he's going to have to stand before God and give an account for what he does. He says he's a Roman Catholic. I believe he's an atheist. That's my opinion. I'm sticking to it. I'm sticking to it. Now, I'll tell you what. You know, there comes a time. There comes a time in every Doc Washburn show when there's a little thing we got to do, man. It's time for it. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com, the big old car dealership in the middle of the United States. Please in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice online, have delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental U.S. Time for the tweet of the day. There's a brilliant attorney, a guy named Robert Barnes. Robert Barnes. He's got over 239,000 followers out there on Twitter. The tweet of the day from Robert Barnes. He says, personally, I think it's a complete coincidence that the children of Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, John Kerry, and Mitt Romney all got lucrative gigs in Ukraine. Complete coincidence. 
I'm not saying Holmes. Tweet of the day. Thank you, Red River Your Way. Appreciate it. All right, let me get back to Chip Roy before I forget now. He says, Jin Saki says the leases are there. No, the leases are not there. The administration has not held a single onshore oil and gas lease sale since taking office. This has caused companies to slow drilling regardless of number of permits because they don't know whether they'll get new leases. What additional permits do they need? They need additional permits for things like rights-of-way and pipelines to move the oil they produce. Biden has waged war on pipelines like the Keystone XL, the FERC regulations, etc. Administration is actively blocking the capital necessary for drilling. Kathleen Scama, president of the Western Energy Alliance, said we can't get capital because the Biden administration is putting so much pressure on banks not to lend to us in the name of climate change. All right. All right. Now, the great Drew Holden, the great Drew Holden, who's been in the New York Times, National Review, Washington Post, Fox News, Federalist, all over the place. He's also got a thread on Twitter about this. Now, <clears throat> I refuse to use the word president in front of Biden, so I'll just say it my way. Usurper Biden recently said, it's simply not true that my administration or policies are holding back domestic energy production. Drew Holden says, I figured the fact checkers likely won't touch this one, so I did the homework. Biden's claim isn't true. I explain. Just two weeks ago, Biden froze new drilling permits and stopped leases on federal lands because a court ruled that they couldn't use an elevated social cost of carbon to make it more difficult to drill. Instead, they shut the whole process down. This opposition to domestic energy production is not new. When Biden first took office, pardon me, he moved to ban new oil and gas leases on federal land, a huge uh, slice of U.S. energy, via executive order. The measure was eventually stopped by the courts. Back before gas prices hit record highs, Biden's allies were praising the administration for taking bold steps steps to limit fossil fuel production. One of their key points, we supposedly already had enough supply to meet domestic needs. Biden also proposed ending a wide range of tax benefits for drilling and explorations, something supporters said would hopefully discourage additional oil and gas development. This makes the process more expensive, particularly when competing with heavily subsidized renewables. And I'm sure that no one has forgotten that Biden shut down the Keystone XL pipeline on his first day in office. But what you may have forgotten was that this was part of a broader suite of efforts to reverse more than 100 Trump-era policies. Taken together, these early moves represent what climate activist Bill McKibben said, quote, may well mark the official beginning of the end of the fossil fuel era, unquote, arguing, quote, they send a decisive signal about the end of one epoch and the beginning of another, unquote. 
Yeah, they want us to be like Zimbabwe or Venezuela. Plunge us all into poverty. Drew Holden continues, in June of 2021, Biden suspended oil and gas leases that the Trump administration had granted in Alaska, outraging local officials and ending one of the key actions Trump took to expand domestic energy production. All of these federal efforts came with a clear goal in mind, which was sending a signal that the days of fossil fuels would be ending soon. Again, once upon a time, the corporate press was comfortable admitting this was the goal. And he links to an article from Time magazine entitled Biden's Biggest Climate Move Signaling that fossil fuels are not the future. He says these signals matter. Extractive industries like oil and gas rely heavily on tea leaf reading because even seemingly small government actions can have huge impacts for a heavily regulated industry. A quick, easy-to-follow breakdown of some of the reasons is here. And he links to an article from Investopedia entitled How Do Government Regulations Impact the Oil and gas drilling sector. Brilliant. He says, and it wasn't Biden acting on his own. As Joe Gabriel Simonson wrote about for the Washington Free Beacon, Democrats in Congress have pushed to restrict domestic energy production even as prices have climbed. Congressional Democrats have also taken steps to add tighter, and in some cases, just punitive regulations to make it harder for domestic energy companies to do business, including regulations on offshore oil and regarding methane. Naturally, making a process harder increases the cost. And there were numerous hearings where Democrats have demonized the oil and gas industry in colorful but seriously dubious ways, making the industries standing on that side of the aisle clear. Plus, Something that gets left out of the current discourse is that numerous states have banned or proposed banning fracking, an effective way to access hard-to-reach energy sources. I'll give you one guess which political party was behind these efforts to ban fracking. Yes, indeed. And he has headlines about Mario Cuomo and California Democrats trying to ban fracking. Now, to be clear, the impacts of some of these efforts have been overblown Despite trying to ban new drilling on federal lands, lots of plans have moved forward to do so, more than under President Trump's first year, largely because of Obama-era rules, but fewer than last year. And it isn't reasonable to blame Biden or anybody else in that office exclusively for the price of oil and gas. The world is just more complicated than that, and he's got a good primer on some of that complexity. Oh, from NPR? No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm blaming Biden. I'm blaming Biden. Nope, sorry. Nope, 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 nope. Drew Holden, no NPR. He says, but it's intellectually disingenuous for usurper Biden to pretend that he and his party haven't taken action to make domestic energy production more difficult and, as a result, have made energy more expensive. They've done a lot with the explicit goal of doing just that. The inconvenient truth is the Biden campaign on ambitious climate goals. Those aren't likely to get done organically. So he and his administration have tried to apply pressure to traditional energy sources. See, nobody bought that. Nobody wanted that, which is why Trump got so many more votes than Biden, and they had to steal it. Yes, 
I said it, and I'll continue to. Now the prices have jumped. They're trying to pretend otherwise, that they didn't have anything to do with it. Increased costs have always been a good-faith concern about climate efforts among lots of people, left, right, and center. Biden and his team ignore those warnings and help make the, the bed they find themselves lying in. Rather than admit it, now they're trying to memory hold the whole thing. Um, and he says, this one took off, so your reminder that your generous support helps me remember all the details so you don't have to. All right. Yes, so he's looking for tips on, on Twitter. Thank you, Drew Holden. Thank you, Drew Holden. That was great. That was great. So, you know, if you've ever been um, if you've ever been suspended on Twitter for talking about not Twitter, on Facebook for talking about the Wu flu, the China virus, they'll say, Well, you know, misinformation because here's what the World Health Organization says. And they're supposed to be the uh, authorities, right? So, um, do you know the World Health Organization is telling countries to legalize abortions up to birth without limits? Yep, they are. The new guidelines are about as extreme as they can be, calling for no gestational limits on abortion and end to requirements that only doctors do abortion, no parental consent for minors, no waiting periods, an active promotion of abortion, including do-it-yourself abortions by governors. That's your World Health Organization. So you go ahead. You go ahead and trust World Health Organization for uh, medical device. Really? You're going to do that? Trust the World Health Organization for medical advice. The baby killers. Um, no. I can't play that game. Not going to do it, man. Not going to do it. By the way, um, speaking of abortion, did you know that there is a um, a bill in Maryland that would allow killing babies and in infanticide up to twenty eight days after birth? Yep. Maryland legislative session is in full swing, and once again, abortion advocates are pushing their radical abortion agenda. Recently, LifeNews.com had an article about the testimony that they presented against Maryland House Bill 1171, which is attempting to codify Roe v. Wade in the Maryland Constitution. Now, LifeNews.com is preparing to submit testimony of Maryland Senate Bill 669, also known as the Pregnant Persons Freedom Act of 2022. At first glance, the bill looks like it simply changes the word woman to pregnant person and then prevents a pregnant person from being investigated or penalized for terminating or attempting to terminate her own pregnancy. But LifeNews.com, well aware that abortion advocates constantly package what they sell as benign when it's truly lethal. In this case, LifeNews.com points out in their testimony, the bill also proposes a revision of the fetal murder-slash-manslaughter statute that would serve to handcuff the investigation of infant deaths unrelated to abortion. In other words, this bill would effectively legalize infanticide. The exact language of the bill states, quote, This section may not be construed to authorize any form of investigation 
or penalty for a person experiencing a perinatal death related to a failure to act, unquote. In other words, a baby born alive and well could be abandoned and left to starve or freeze to death, and nothing could be done to punish those who participated in that cruel death. The bill also includes a section that would allow, quote, a person to bring a cause of action for damages if the person was subject to unlawful arrest or criminal investigation for a violation of this section as a result of experiencing a perinatal death, unquote. Now, just in case, just in case, do you know what perinatal means, P-E-R-I-N-A-T-A-L? Relating to the time, usually a number of weeks immediately before and after birth. A number of weeks after birth. You wouldn't be able to prosecute people for killing the baby after it's born for several weeks. So according to this bill in Maryland, if a baby died because it was abandoned and police investigated and eventually arrested the person responsible for the baby's death, then the woman could sue the police and get monetary damages for having been investigated and arrested. And it gets worse. Because the language that is used is without clear definition, the bill could prevent any any investigations into the death of infants at least seven days after their birth and may extend to infants as old as four weeks. Again, there's no clear definition of the term perinatal in the Maryland Code. Note the term used in the legislation is perinatal, not prenatal. Prenatal naturally means before birth. The medical definition of perinatal is vastly different. The perinatal period is defined in diverse ways. Depending on the definition, it starts at the 20th to 28th week of gestation and ends one to four weeks after birth. I want to be very clear here. Maryland has a safe haven law. The law prevents any person who leaves an unharmed newborn, an unharmed newborn, not more than 10 days old, with a responsible adult with the intent not to return for the child shall be immune from civil liability or criminal prosecution. So if a woman in Maryland doesn't want her baby after the child is born, she's already immune from criminal liability for leaving her baby as long as the baby is left in a safe manner. There's absolutely no reason for Maryland Senate Bill 669's attempt to prevent someone who lets their baby die from being investigated. The bill just further exposes the complete lack of regard abortion advocates have for innocent human life. If they truly want to protect life and women, then legislators could simply extend the length of the safe harbor provision already in place. But that's clearly not the goal. We've already seen through New York's abortion through birth law and former governor of Virginia's horrific comments about how in a late-term abortion the infant would be kept comfortable on the table while they decide if the child should be allowed to live. The abortion industry continues to push the bounds of just how far it can go to kill babies. LifeNews.com wraps it up saying, as we prepare to submit our written testimony on March 15th, opposing Senate Bill 669, you can take action to sign our petition so that we can let the Maryland legislators know exactly what the public thinks about their agenda. If you're a Maryland resident, call your state senator and tell them to oppose Senate Bill 669. The Doc Washburn Show tries to let you know about the news that the mainstream media doesn't want you to know about. I just had a comment on um, Podbean a little bit ago. Live right now, 12.50 a.m.? Yes, I was 16 minutes ago. And 
even as my live stream slash podcast tries to keep you up to date on the news that the mainstream media doesn't want you to know about, as governor, I would also, I would also deal with issues that my opponent for the Republican nomination doesn't want to talk about. No forced masks or forced vaccinations. Real school choice. The money should follow the student, not the, not the school. Abolish abortion entirely. Constitutional carry, Second Amendment. Eliminate state income tax. Take care of our veterans. Too many of our veterans have no idea about the federal benefits due to them because they risk their lives for our freedom. I would have an office in my administration that would coordinate with the county judges to make sure all of our veterans get the federal benefits that they are owed. None of them should be homeless. None of them should be worried about how to buy groceries or have a uh, roof over their head. And our nursing home patients must be protected. We have nursing home horrors going back through the Hutchison administration, through the Beebe administration, through the Huckabee administration. None of them did anything about it. None of them did anything about it. There is an agency, Office of Long-Term Care. I can't remember if it's under Department of Human Services or, or the Health Department. But their job is to investigate nursing homes and make sure that no nursing home patients are being abused. And they're not doing their job because we hear all these horror stories. Executive order day one, if you're like me, governor, executive order day one would instruct the Office of Long Care, uh, of Long-Term Care to enforce the law. And, oh, would there be prosecutions for the abuses. So are there some good nursing homes in Arkansas? I'm, I'm sure, but... There are a lot that aren't, and uh, they're not going to like me. But, you know, it's in God's word, as even, if you've done, even as you have done in the least of these, you've done it to me. You know what I'm saying? Do unto others as you have them do unto you. And that's how we must operate. That's how we must operate. You elect me governor... And the days of fatal bed sores and ants all over nursing home patients, I've seen the horror stories, are over. I'll shut them down before I allow that. I'll shut them down. I'll put people in jail before I allow that. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just telling you. That's what's up. That's what's up. So, that having been said, you've been listening to episode 105 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, 
in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempia the Tenth. Well, that's the way it is. Friday, March eleventh, twenty twenty two.